Do you have a favorite app on your phone? Anybody got favorite app that they use? Uh, it's possible that your favorite app could be a game that you play a lot. A lot of, if you're a younger person, you probably got games that you play on your phone. Uh, maybe your favorite app, maybe you're super spiritual and your favorite app on your mobile device is the Bible app. Good job to you. Um, Andy and I spend a lot of time monitoring Trent's business from our mobile devices. So we have a bunch of apps that are devoted to that task and we use those very often. But I think in my personal list of most important apps, close to the top has got to be the magnifier. If you have an iPhone, you can uh, click three times on the power button and you get a magnifying app. And this thing is the best thing in the whole wide world. Here you can see it magnifies stuff. So um, I use the magnifier when uh, Andy and I go out to eat and I'm in a restaurant and the lights are always too dim and I can't see the menu. And so I am, I am that guy now. When you're over 50, you just stop caring. And so um, I get my magnifier out and I, and I turn the light on so it can see the menu. And I'm, you know, shining people, whatever. Uh, and I read the, the menu. Um, I, I do that. I, I use the magnifier for um, pill bottles. Again, over 50. You have to be able to read the label on the pill bottles. Um, I, I also, since the last trip to the doctor, um, I use the magnifying app a lot to look at the nutrition label on the backs of the food that I'm about to uh, eat. Again, when you get older, <laughs> those are the kind of things you have to look forward to. Um, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> it, it seems like uh, often, daily, I am reaching for my mobile device to help me see something more clearly, something that I can't see or that I'm having a difficult time seeing. Well, this month, we are going to be looking at four songs that are inspired by the coming King Jesus. So this four different times that four different people, one time it's angels, but I should make a shirt that says angels are people too. They're not, but we call dogs people. So not angels can fit in that anyway. Um, <laughs> I don't know where I'm going uh, this morning. It's Christmas, I'm just out of sorts maybe. There's trees and stuff. Uh, by the way, um, let, me, let me tell you, uh, Kim Mattern, Kim, raise, raise your hand, Kim. Raise your, raise your hand, there you go. Okay, Kim and Pam, wherever, wherever Pam is, there's Pam over there by Kenny and, and Lauren, who's not here, but she came. Uh, and this is a great guy. They came in and set up the Christmas trees. These two Christmas trees, the big uh, Christmas tree out in the lobby, those are our trees. Um, and uh, we figured if we were gonna have a building, we should probably have trees to put in it. So now we have trees and lights and decorations. Uh, anyway, I estimated uh, you and your team of people spent, um, what, eight, nine hours um, setting up Christmas trees over the last couple of days. So, so thank you for those of you who helped, appreciate that. 
It, it is, they, they are pretty. And then they kind of, you know, put you in the mood. And we wanted to have a nice big tree out there for you to get pictures uh, at and things like that. So, so somebody stop and take a picture uh, with the tree on the way out. Otherwise, we'll feel bad. Uh, anyway, we're going to look this Christmas season at, at four songs and they're not like songs like we sang this morning. They're songs like in the idea of Psalms, like in the book Psalms. So they're um, kind of lyrically set up, uh, uh, people praising God for different reasons and different things. And so um, as we move through the series this month, I hope that as we look at these different songs, they help us see Jesus more clearly. Um, and I hope that uh, as we go through this series, that we see our need for Jesus more clearly, that we see his role in the Christmas story more clearly, because we get distracted by all the things that Christmas means in our world today, right? The presents and the tree and the decorations and the commercialization of all that stuff. And, and so we need to see that Jesus really is key to Christmas. And so we want to see him and the Christmas story more clearly. And, and hopefully because of our time together over the next few weeks, we want others to see King Jesus more clearly through us. And so as we look at these songs that, um, that were expressed or kind of sung um, thousands of years ago, our hope is that they will not only help us see Jesus more clearly, but help others see him in us more clearly. Because really, as a follower of Jesus, this is my goal, for me to see Jesus more clearly so that others see him more clearly in me. That's the purpose of a magnifying uh, glass or a magnifying app on your phone to make it larger so that it can be seen more easily. And so when we worship King Jesus, we are magnifying him, we're praising him, we're lifting up his name so that we can see and exalt the wonder of his complexity and his goodness. When we come together and we focus on Jesus, we're focusing on something that we can't really understand or comprehend. And we're saying, that's okay, because you're God and I'm not. And so I just want to worship you for who you are. We are to make much of our King when we worship, to show others how great he is by sharing how he works in our lives. And, and this is what Mary this is what Mary is doing in the first song that we're going to look at in this series. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter one today. But before we get to Mary's song, we need to look more closely at what is going on leading up to this song that Mary sings. So beginning in verse five of Luke chapter one, we read about two important people, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, Zechariah was a high priest. He actually was a high priest who got to enter the temple um, during the year when his division was uh, working. And so very few individuals ever got to enter the temple of, of God. You had to be a high priest. You had to go through all of these ritual cleansing and everything. And, and it was an incredible honor to, to go into the temple and it was also incredibly uh, terrifying because if you hadn't gone through the right ritual things to be pure, you could step into the temple and die. 
So it was a great honor, um, and it was a very difficult thing to do. And so this was part of Zechariah's job. He would come in when it was his turn to work, and he got to go into the temple and see all of that uh, incredible stuff that was in there. Now, his wife, Elizabeth, she also was from the daughters of Aaron. So while you had to be a part of the family of Aaron to be a priest in Jerusalem or for the Jews, there were those who could trace their lineage directly back to um, Aaron. It was a much straighter path. And this is Elizabeth, Zechariah's wife. So um, this is kind of a power couple in the day. Aaron was Moses' brother, Moses, the guy who led the people out of Israel. So it's kind of a big uh, deal. Elizabeth would have been a prominent woman, not just because she was the wife of a, of a high priest, but also because of her own lineage and background. So Zechariah and Elizabeth, they would have been invited to the best parties. They would have led a very privileged life. And yet, we're told in verses 7 and then in verse 25 that Elizabeth was barren and it had left her broken. And so for decades, Zechariah and Elizabeth had prayed to God for a child. They had begged and pleaded with God and got no answer. And in fact, if you have been there, I know we've had several uh, families here at Real Life who have struggled with infertility. And if you've been there, you understand the pain of that. Zechariah and Elizabeth probably believed that that God was withholding a child from them. In fact, the belief of that day was that if you um, were born with some kind of disability or problem or you got hurt and it, and it was a lasting um, injury, that God was upset with you for something or for some reason. And so Elizabeth and Zechariah, though they were prominent in every other way, they probably struggled with what did we do or what did our parents do and, and maybe sinned. And so this would happen to us and we would be, we would be barren. They probably believed God was withholding a child from them, but it turns out that God was just waiting. In contrast to Elizabeth, who had been barren and was very old, we have Mary. Mary, who was uh, very, very young, probably in her early teens. In fact, most people say she was probably around 13 years of age. Now, that seems very shocking to us, not shocking in Middle Eastern culture, especially in that day and time. She was unwed, though she was pledged to be married to Joseph. And again, in that day, in that culture, that was a serious thing. They were married from a very young age. They had worked that out. The two families had gotten together and, uh, and, and worked that out. And it was, a, it was a big deal. In fact, the only way for them to split up and not marry each other would be to go through a legal divorce process uh, even before they were officially married. Like Elizabeth, Mary dreamed one day of having a family and children, but she believed, unlike Elizabeth, that that was a long way off. And so we have Elizabeth on one side of the spectrum, very old, having spent her life praying for a child and never receiving one. And then you have Mary, who's very young, who maybe wasn't even thinking about children uh, quite yet. And um, now we're going to find out that she is pregnant. While Elizabeth's pregnancy brought vindication and excitement for her, Mary's pregnancy brought apprehension and anxiety. See, Elizabeth's pregnancy was celebrated 
Mary's pregnancy was condemned. You see it on both sides of that spectrum, and I think it's a beautiful picture that God puts together in the story of Jesus, bringing these two women separated by many years and cultural uh, or societal differences. Mary would have not been very prominent uh, family or woman. Elizabeth uh, and Zechariah, very prominent. And so um, Mary accepts this message that the angel brings to her. She accepts God's plan for her life. You've heard that story probably many times, but she is faced with some big challenges. She is um, probably likely going to be kicked out of her parents' home. She's going to be cut off by her friends. Mary is in for a very hurried wedding, no family, no friends present, and a marriage shrouded in shame. And so it makes sense that before Mary's baby bump begins to show, she leaves town. She goes to see the only other person that the angel mentioned when he came and spoke to her, and that's her cousin Elizabeth, the wife of a priest and this prominent, sophisticated woman. And so when Mary shows up, Elizabeth blesses her. She blesses Mary above other women, She blesses her for believing that what God told her through the angel would come true. But it's what Mary says, it's how Mary responds to Elizabeth that I think is important for today. And so we're going to see how Mary handles Elizabeth's high praise. And we're going to be in Luke uh, chapter 1, beginning in verse 49. Um, Mary says, we're going to catch it kind of in the beginning part of her song. She says, for he, for God, who is mighty, has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Now, what I love about Mary's response is that she seems to effortlessly do what is so hard for me at some times um, to do. It's been hard for me to do in dealing with the city about uh, the building. And it's this, I think Mary gets it right, to see the situation from God's perspective and not from my own. Sometimes when things happen, I, I look at things and I respond to them as though I was the one in charge, that it was up to me to make it happen or not. And things come up and then I get all kind of bent out of shape and and get all emotional instead of just like Mary, just going, God is in control. God has the strength and the power. God is faithful. And so we have Mary here with no idea what her future holds, except she knows it's probably not going to be good. Yet she praises God. And so at this moment in time, as Mary goes to see Elizabeth, there are only three people on the planet who know what's going on, who who know what's happening, Mary, Elizabeth, and Zechariah. But in about three months, when Mary goes back to her hometown and back to see her family, 
everybody's gonna know. Right at that point, it's gonna be very difficult to hide it. And so they will know at least part of the story. They won't know the story that Elizabeth and Zechariah and eventually Joseph will know. What they will know is that Mary is unwed, that she is pregnant, and that the father of the child is not her fiance. Mary has no idea what's going to happen when her parents, her friends, and her fiance find out, but she knows it's not going to be good. In that culture, in that society, in that day, Mary could have very easily faced death for this. Had Joseph decided to to press it, had he done what he intended to do in the beginning, it's very possible that she, even at the hands of her parents or friends, could have faced death. But instead of worrying about the future, Mary focuses the attention and the praise that Elizabeth gives her onto God. And she does that in three areas that I think are worth um, pointing out. First of all, she speaks of God's faithfulness in verses 54 and 55. God had been silent for 400 years. So no priest and no prophet had heard any word from God for generations. They prayed, they begged God to respond, to give them some kind of a sign, but they got nothing. And though God had been silent, he wasn't absent. We know from the story that that God was working, that he was watching, and he was waiting. And it turns out he was waiting for Mary. And though there's a huge difference between God waiting and God walking away, they can feel pretty much the same when you're in the middle, right? When there's something that you're asking God for, you're begging God for, even if he's just waiting, sometimes it feels like he's walked away. He's not there, like he's not listening and not hearing. And that's how we respond to it anyway. It can be very, very difficult for us to handle that. But for Mary, as soon as God spoke, as soon as he dispatched the angel Gabriel and the silence was broken, the waiting is over and Mary focuses on God's faithfulness. The words of Mary's song show us that she sees what is happening in her life in the moment as a continuation of all that God has been doing for millennia. Do you see that in in, in what she says? God, this is a continuation. All the things that you promised from the beginning are being fulfilled. And so she sees the part that she's playing in the moment, as incredible as it is to carry the Son of God and face these terrible um, circumstances, she recognizes this is all part of God's plan, that he's been working in our lives from the very, very beginning. And to Mary, all of this proves God's faithfulness. The second thing she speaks about is God's power. Mary, this young, uh, innocent girl, sees God working against those who thought they were special and for those who thought they were insignificant. And the fact that God chose Mary, it proves to her that he is for the oppressed and the weak who seek him and against the powerful and the wealthy who don't. God scatters the proud who thought they were his favorites. God brings the mighty unjust down from their positions of power 
And she says he sends the rich away empty. But look at what else he does. She says that he exalts the humble, that he fills up the hungry, that he helps those who follow him. That God chose to break out into his creation once again, as he did in Genesis, through a very old barren woman and a very young innocent woman and not through the wealthy and the powerful and the politically connected. It proves his power. And because he is powerful, he doesn't have to pay attention to the rules of the world. And, and that makes a difference for us. It's why Mary can say the things she's saying because she knows that God's power isn't controlled by the way the world functions. That he's functioning, he's working on a, on a very different level. And he's accomplishing things that he wants in the midst of all of these other things going on that seem like they're in chaos. And so Mary sees God's power. Mary also speaks of God's mercy. Mary says that God's help and mercy in the moment, in her moment, is tied to the mercy in ages past. And so what's going on now, again, is tied to what happened a long time ago and the mercy that God expressed to Abraham and to his offspring has now been brought to fruition, like they're connected all together. Mary, a mercy happens when you don't receive something that you deserve, okay? So mercy is not receiving something that you deserve. And so um, let me just uh, take a minute out. There's a, there's a big thing in our culture today where um, if you look on social media, you talk to people, they're always saying things about, I, I went and did this because I deserve it. I'm worth it. And so uh, you watch commercials and they're like, you need this new hair product uh, because you deserve it. You're beautiful and you deserve the best for your hair. You need to get a massage because you work hard and you deserve it and, and, uh, and, and you're, uh, you're the best. And so there's this idea that we ought to do things in our lives because we deserve them. And so what's happened in our culture? We overspend because, ah, I deserve it. I, I deserve nice things. And we expect to get treated a certain way or uh, for certain things to happen to us because, because, gosh darn it, we deserve it. And I'm here to crush your spirits today because the reality is we, we don't deserve it. We don't. I don't deserve the, the nice things that I have. And, and I, can't, I can't say that. I can't say, uh, wife, you need to treat me this way because I deserve it. Because I don't. I know the kind of husband that I can be. Or to my kids, hey, you have to treat me this way because I deserve it. I'm the, I'm the dang paterfamilias. Uh, but I can't say that because I know the kind of dad that I can be. So we live in a culture where um, for at least ourselves, we want to walk around thinking we deserve the best of everything, even though we might look at other people and go, you don't deserve that. I deserve it. You don't deserve it. Mercy happens when you don't receive something you deserve. And what I deserve is God's worst 
not his best. I know the thoughts I think, the things I say and and do. I know where I stand with God. and, And so I understand that what I deserve is God's worst, not his best. And it was the same for Israel. And it was the same for Mary and Elizabeth. And it's the same for you and I. What we deserve is God's silence. What we deserve is God's strict justice. But what we got was God's very own son. You and I, like Mary and Elizabeth, don't deserve any good thing in life because we have fallen short of the glory of God too many times to count. Yet God has unlimited mercy for us. In our failure and our weakness, Easton talked about this, the communion time, in our failure and weakness, God makes up the difference. And he has this incredible, unlimited mercy when you come to him. What is so amazing is that Mary has just weaved together everything that God had done since creation. And she ties it together with what everything that God was doing in the present. And she sees it as a whole. It's amazing to me that such a young girl could have such an incredible grasp on how God works and what he's doing. But I think there's something that amazes me even more. Let's look at the first few verses of Mary's song. Elizabeth has praised her when she's seen her, and then Mary responds, my soul magnifies, there's that word, the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Now, Mary, when she gets to Elizabeth's house and Elizabeth begins to praise her, this prominent, probably wealthy woman begins to to praise her and to honor Mary. And Mary could have easily thanked Elizabeth and begin to believe that she was someone really special who deserved the praise uh, of other people, of people of, of, of maybe higher social status than her, because she had been chosen. She was special to carry the Son of God. But that's not Mary. And God knew it. And I think that's why God chose her, why he waited for Mary. Because instead of accepting Elizabeth's praise, Mary turns that praise and magnifies God. Mary knows she doesn't deserve to carry the Son of God, but she's grateful for having been chosen for the task. And so she's learning that God doesn't look for heroes, God looks for the humble. And so she says from the depths of her being, my soul magnifies the Lord. What does that magnifying app do? It makes things bigger, clearer, more easy to see. And so Mary wants to make sure that no one loses sight of God's activity in these events of her life. And while she proceeds to make God bigger, 
she's also making herself and her problems smaller. Because the other thing that a magnifying glass does, when one thing is magnified, everything else appears minimized. Right? When you put your magnifying app on something, what it's looking at is bigger and everything else appears smaller. It's why John the baptizer doesn't stop with, Jesus must increase. He continues on to, I must decrease. Mary does an amazing job of pointing to God, magnifying his work in her life for all of creation. And when she does, her situation and her struggles are minimized. See, when we get a bigger picture of God, we get a smaller opinion of ourselves. We begin to see all that God does and all that he's capable of, all that he has the power to do, ourselves and our problems and our challenges begin to get smaller. When we focus on God, we can find joy much easier than when we're focused on ourselves. When I look at all the things that I think I deserve and I don't have, I can get really depressed. But when I look at God and all that he has and all that he can do and all that he's done for me, I begin to see those problems and challenges get smaller as God begins to get bigger. And so in verse 47, Mary says, my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. Knowing everything that she was going to face, the question has to be, how could Mary have joy in such uncertain times? Well, Mary's joy doesn't come from the details of her situation. She has joy because she has been seen by God, because she's been chosen by God. I I want you to know today that you have been seen by God too. Not because of how much you put in the offering or how you're dressed, not because of who you are, You are seen because God has placed a very high value on your life. He created you. He chose you. He loves you, which is why he sent his son. And even though he may feel silent, he's never absent. And even though at times he may wait, he never walks away. So just as God helped Israel in the wilderness, just as God showed up for Elizabeth and was was with Mary, he will help his people now and in the future. Many of us fail to see God or we think that he's being silent in our lives because we have chosen to, to point our magnifying glass at ourselves, magnify ourselves and our problems and our struggles. pointed at ourselves, we, we pointed at other people, we point a magnifying glass at our problems. And when that happens, it actually, it actually magnifies our problems and minimizes God, if that were possible. But when we choose to magnify God in our lives, all the other stuff, the problems and the challenges and the struggles, they begin to minimize. And then we can face life challenges with great joy, not because of our situation and because it's always perfect, but because we are always seen by God, because he loves us 
and He chose us. And so this week, pay attention to what you are pointing your magnifying app at. What is it that you're looking at? Are you looking at the things that you don't have that you think you deserve? Are you looking at other people and their lives and what's going on? Are you looking at yourself, your problems? Or are you doing your best to magnify God? The, the clearer you see God, the more clearly others will see him in you and I. Let's pray. God, thanks for loving us again. Thank you for your son. Thank you, as Mary said, for your faithfulness, your power, and your mercy. God, help us to have great joy as we follow you. Not because everything is perfect, but because you are perfectly in everything because you are present in our lives. You are not absent. You have not left us alone. You're not silent. You are active and working. Even in the situation with the building right now, God, we believe that you are, are working behind the scenes, that you're waiting, that this is all just part of a process and we want to trust you in it. Help us to do that. Help us no matter what happens to keep our eyes and the focus on you because then we can rejoice because then we can praise you as we magnify you. Would you get bigger? Would we get smaller? In Jesus' name, amen.